Welcome to the Latin Wealth Podcast, a podcast dedicated to educating the Latino community about entrepreneurship, investing, and business. Yo, what's going on, Latin Wealth family? Welcome to another episode to Wealth Wednesday. And if you guys are, have been tapped into Wealth Wednesday, you guys already know this weekly segment is focused on having conversations around trending topics in the world, um, trending news. But from time to time, we also love to come on here and give you guys a little history lesson about some very prominent figures in the Latino community. So um, th this is what today's episode is going to be about. It's going to be a uh, it's going to be a dope episode, very educational. Uh, we're going to hit on somebody that is, again, a prominent figure in the Latino community and especially in Puerto Rico. Uh, we're going to highlight, you know, some of the, the lessons that we can take away from this individual and kind of just go through um, who this individual was as a person and kind of the things that they went through to um, be the prominent figure that they are till this day. Uh, but before we we jump into that, Jeremiah, how you feeling today, bro? How you doing? Feeling great, man. Um, it's always good anytime that we get to sit and discuss some historic figures, let some people get some notes, get some gems from them. And like you said, hopefully we can apply this stuff to life. That's what you want. You want to learn from the past. So I'm excited. Let's yeah, absolutely. And it, dive in. yeah, it's, uh, I love what you said to learn from the past because we highlight these people. And I mean, the thing is like, what can we take away? What can we learn from these people? What were they trying to accomplish from the time that they were alive? And, um, I think it's very important to study historical figures um, to continue to improve yourself, maybe improve your business or to improve your outlook on life, right? And the individuals that we are talking about today is Pedro Albizo Campos, who was a Puerto Rican attorney, politician, um, a leading figure in the Puerto Rican independence movement. Um, he was also the president and spokesman of the National Party of Puerto Rico from about the year 1930 until his death, right? And a lot of people would actually consider him Puerto Rico's most visionary leader, uh, extremely intelligent man. Like we're going to get into some things that were just, just blew me away. I'm like, man, I need to step my game up, <laughs> right? Very intelligent person. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, um, let's be honest, the USA did not like what this man was trying to accomplish and who he was and what he stood for. So we're going to get into that. Uh, it, it was crazy because up until I think about 1932, you know, the USA really, the FBI really started to spy on him and, you know, um, spy on his work. And he actually yeah. spent a lot of his life in and out of the U.S. jail system. So we're going to talk more about Albizo Campos today, his incredible life. Um, and, you know, hopefully you guys can take some gems and some nuggets away from this episode. And in, in addition to all that, it's he's had there's a lot of complexities and layers to the things he was trying to accomplish. Um, and, you know, the kind of the the challenges between the United States and Puerto Rico. So I say that to say, do your due diligence. You know, we're doing our best to give you this information, but there's a lot to this individual and the challenges between the two countries. So, yes, I'll say that. Uh, but we'll start off with Alviso Campo was born on June 29th, 18, 
93 in Ponce, Puerto Rico. Um, it's funny because we, right before we hit record, we were just talking about his childhood was actually pretty crazy. So um, his mother passed away when he was only four years old. Um, there's a couple different reports out there, but I think the way he she passed away is through suicide. You know, she was dealing with some mental health challenges. Um, at one point, she even tried to to take him out as well as a baby and drown him in a, a river. Um, so some local family members and and people in the community they kind of saved him, and um, he ended up being raised by his aunt. Um, his father disowned him as a child, didn't recognize him and just kind of was like, I, I don't know if this is my child. I'm out. So he was raised by his aunt. And um, despite all of those challenges and I was telling Jeremiah, this has been somebody I would love to interview on the podcast to ask him how he overcame all these challenges because he ended up being a very intelligent young man. And um, in 1912, he was actually awarded a scholarship to study chemistry and engineering at the University of Vermont. He then transferred a year later to Harvard University, majoring in chemistry, literature, and uh, fun fact, he became the first Puerto Rican Harvard graduate um, as an Afro-Latino as well. So want to park it there. Pretty crazy, like first half of his life already some amazing accomplishment uh talk to us jeremiah what are your what are your thoughts the accomplishment of just being able to live right which is something that we really don't take into effect but you know i mean when you have that type of situation with your parents you know there's mental illness which is a big thing that people don't talk about especially in our community but mental illness being involved in someone's life and then that aspect weighing onto the children and then how that you know maybe impedes or but I think that, uh, I mean, from the aspect of when I'm sitting and I'm looking at the total aspect of it, it's like, I think that this was, you know, you know how some things have to happen to people in order to mm -hmm. fuel them. Mm -hmm. This was something I think that he used as fuel. Um, I definitely just looking at history, I knew about him, but going more in depth for our, you know, for our session here. Um, I really connected with him just because of some very similar things in childhood and then also being able to connect with his career choices. I mean, that was my career choice. Chemical engineering mm -hmm. was my career choice. So it's like, yo, this is very similar, a little different. I was like, wow, that's that's different, right? And then, mm -hmm. but the level he took it to was just like amazing. So yeah. I just thought that, you know, being able to take um, something that should be a negative or most people would obviously perceive as a negative, but then use that as just like this never ending fuel to grow and and, and learn and lead. Um, Man, that's a that's a gym or that's that's like a bar, as we say, you know, for for us mm -hmm. to learn from. That's what I, it's yeah. crazy. Absolutely. And uh, what's the quote that says uh, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor? Right. That is so true. That's so the true. People man. that go through the most things typically come out, you know, if they can come out on top, when they can come out on top, they have the biggest accomplishments. If you look at anybody in history and you study their story you're like, man, these people went through hell and back. And it wasn't um, easy. It was not easy. So very interesting. And so in addition to him being the first Puerto Rican Harvard graduate, during this time, he was actually drafted to the U.S. military during World War One, And he actually served on the African-American military unit. Mm -hmm. And as he was serving in this time, um, he encountered a lot of different racism 
he kind of seen how the United States worked, how the 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 army and the military worked, and that really shaped his perspective of the United States in a honestly a negative way. You know, he's seen kind of behind the curtains of how the United States were, was at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so after an honorable discharge, he actually entered back into Harvard Law School and he graduated in 1921. As we said, he is the first Puerto Rican um, Harvard graduate. And uh, man, this was this was also crazy as well. He graduated with the highest grade point average in his law class. And yeah. this achievement actually allowed him to give the valedictorian speech at his graduation. Uh, However, since he was an Afro-Puerto Rican, racism um, is is still alive during this time. Um, His professors delayed two of his final exams in order to keep Albizo Campos from graduating on time. Therefore, he couldn't give that speech. Just hating, as we would say in our time, just, just flat out hating on him. And so he ended up uh, passing those two final exams, and he graduated again, first Puerto Rican Harvard graduate, but he was also fluent in six different languages. Mm. And after he graduated, he was recruited by some prestigious positions um, in the United States, uh, specifically in the pr- Supreme Court. However, he rejected all of that because he's seen how the United States worked. He's seen the racism. Um, And he wanted to go back to Puerto Rico to devote his life to the cause of Puerto Rican independence. And I think that, um, you know, that last part that you just said about him kind of rebuffing or rejecting all of the things that he could have done. Right. There was offers basically of grandeur to take a person from, okay, you've come from Harvard or whatever. We know there's racism, but you can come work here. But he probably knew like, Oh, I'm going to be working behind the scenes. You're going to keep my information. You're going to keep my mm-hmm. ideas and you're going to steal them. And cause he'd already mm-hmm. seen it. Um, mm-hmm. Something that was super, I think that that was really key in his development or how he thought about the United States was even as a Puerto Rican, but being a Puerto Rican of African descent and Afro Latino, he was separated from other Puerto Ricans who were of lighter mm-hmm. color and could more pass for white. Right. So there were Puerto Ricans as well. Um, and, and I'm speaking about in the army, they separated them though lighter skin, mm-hmm. more fair Puerto Ricans were in white regiments, whereas a clearly of African descent, they had to go with the, you know, with the black mm-hmm. regiments. And so he's, he's sitting there and seeing like, oh man, it's not even about national. It's not about nationality. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a race thing or whatever. Race and thing, so yeah. I think that that kind of propelled him into where he was at because it was like, I could work in the system and be, I guess, be a bigger part of the problem or help the problem, or I could go back home and recreate this thing that's going on. And people have to understand around that time, that's only 20 years after, um, you know, Puerto Rico had become a part of the United States, right? Spanish American war was fought in like 1898 to 1900. And then, so that's, it's just, it's a short time after. And so, you know, he was alive during that time. So to see the the effects that it had on Puerto Rico, you know, legislation that's still, still going right now. Jones Act, all that type of stuff. So you're seeing that. And so that's why I think people are like, well, why would anybody give up like a good job after leaving Harvard to go back and fight a war where the government hates you, essentially? I think there's a, you know, the background has to be known for people. A hundred percent. So uh, transitioning into 
his his efforts in Puerto Rico and some of the things yeah. that he um, was looking to accomplish. Again, he wanted to go back to devote himself to the cause of Puerto Rican independence um, away from the United States. Um, and one of the and he was he was big in the community. He was big in giving back, and he was big into um, uplifting his people. And one of the things that he was able to do in 1934. He led an island-wide uh, arg arg agricultural um, strike that raised the sugarcane workers' wages from forty-five cents to about a dollar fifty. So again, in nineteen thirty-four, the sugarcane workers on the island of Puerto Rico were getting paid forty-five cents for a twelve-hour day. Yeah, per day, right? So yeah. he goes back and he's like, "No, nah, we're not doing this. All right, we need to." get my people paid we need them to make more money and i mean looking back in hindsight 45 cents to a dollar 50 that's just still mind-boggling that's it's nothing but you know um that's a huge gap i mean that's a huge jump right and so they were successful with that strike and they were able again to raise the wages from 45 cents to a dollar 50 per 12 hour workday. and this right here really put ibisu um on the the map with the FBI in the United States, where now they started following him all over the island. Yeah. They started watching his home, um, intercepting his mail, interrogating his neighbors. Like, yo, what do you know about this guy? What is he up to? Um, arresting members of his of the Nationalist Party, um, and even to receiving death threats and you know shots being fired at his home and whatnot. This is really the moment where. He was put on the map and, you know, he actually, since he was able to raise the, the workers wage, I mean, he won the love of a lot of Puerto Ricans. Right. So they were standing by him and the USA took note of this and they were not feeling it. I think that, I mean, <laughs> to get on the on the U.S. U.S. government's radar, um, <laughs> you got to either be doing something very, very well. Right. And like an aspect of trying to free a commonwealth or free someone that, that they that they own, essentially, you know, and, and propaganda and the way you spin things, that'll change the narrative of how people think about people. Right. But um, essentially what he was trying to do was create independence, no different than what America did with Great Britain. Right. And so people have to look at it in, in a certain perspective because you'll say, oh, he was a terrorist. No, because I mean, the British could have said the same about you know, mm -hmm. the, the founding fathers of America, they were terrorists or whatever, right? It's all in how you look at it from their perspective. I think that's something that as well pushed him on to like that that platform or getting looked at. In 1932, he wrote a, um, it was an article basically. Mm -hmm. And you already know he had the national eye, but he he was basically accusing, which what happened was, I don't know, a lot of people don't know this, but Puerto Rico was the place where they test a lot of medications and yeah. Um, yeah. all these different things, right? So he wrote an article basically to the Rockefeller Institute talking about, you know, um, there was a Dr. Cornelius Rhodes. Yeah, so he wrote the letter to Cornelius P. Rhodes. Um, and in that article, basically what he's talking about is the way they used to experiment on people in Puerto Rico. And with these experimentations, they had killed actually a number of Puerto Ricans. And so Ibisu was actually writing, Mr. Campos was writing to him and he said, hey, you guys can't do this to our people. They're humans, no matter how you feel about us or you feel that we're less than or however, whatever, right? This isn't something that you should do and the government shouldn't sanction this. And so I think that along with his, 
wanting to make Puerto Rico independent, you tie that together. And then what that does is it takes it to another level to where it's like, mm. oh, this guy's going to be a problem. Right. Um, so we definitely have to watch him. And I, and I feel like that, you know, that just kind of like added fuel to the fire, which then, like you said, mm-hmm. the FBI is looking at him. They're chasing him. It's shooting at his house. I mean, this is stuff classic that we've seen. Mm-hmm. You see it later on with African-American um, right. civil rights leaders. It's the same thing. Everything is, same you know, thing. yeah. And it's interesting because it's like, and we'll, we'll go through a couple more things. It's like, man, these these people didn't even try to hide it or cover it up. They just no. out here just killing folks and just testing folks. I'm like, yeah. man, this is, I don't know, man. I, when I was reading this, I was like, this is insane. Like, you, you didn't even try to cover any of this up and make it a conspiracy. It's just out there. Did you did you know this about the, the U.S. government before this? I mean, I'm sure you've like, we've all heard different things. Yeah, but... but I say yes, but it's always different when you like dive deep and you read into some of this stuff where it's just like, like the next thing I want to jump into is the, the policeman in 1935 that raided a student rally and killed four people, um, part of the nationalist party, right? Mm -hmm. All in broad daylight in front of witnesses. And it's crazy. This, this, this goes just to prove my point. They asked the police that was in charge of that whole situation, and he quoted, there will be war to the death against all Puerto Ricans. There it is right there. Like, they were not hiding this, man. Like, it's plain in plain sight, yeah. right? So after this, I mean, this sparked, you know, a lot of different things. Um, again, definitely do your due diligence to dive a little deeper into uh, every single one of these timelines, but on March 1936, Albizo Campo was arrested and tried for conspiracy to overthrow the U.S. government. Um, yeah, at yeah. this time, he received 10 years imprisonment mm-hmm. um, for these charges. And, you know, the, I guess the sad part of the story is this was on, honestly the only the beginning from him, because from that day in 1936, Albizo lived another 29 years. 25 of those 29 years were spent in prison. Yeah. Crazy. And that's, I mean, think, think about that the rest of your life and think about the, what you give, basically what you give your life for, the passion and what you actually, your purpose, right? What mm-hmm. you give your life for. Are you willing to, it kind of, like you said, it makes me sad. I sat and I thought about it. I'm like, man, if, if someone told me I was only going to live for another 30 years, mm-hmm. but, you know, 27 of it. Yeah. You got to go to prison to live out your path. Like, I don't know. I don't think anybody uh, would choose that. It's tough, man. But he knew it. He saw it and still kept going and still kept doing yeah, the same thing in that fight. That, there's something to be said for that. Like, that's a different type of person. Absolutely. And so I'm, I'm not sure exactly what year is this law was put into place, but Law 53, the gag law, uh, mm-hmm. prohibited the signing of patriotic tune or any display of a Puerto Rican flag anywhere, even in anywhere. one's home. No matter if it was a small flag, large flag, it also prohibited any speech against the U.S. government in favor of Puerto Rican independence or to print, publish, sell, or any material about independence. Like, if you get caught talking about this, like, it's, it's, it, was a, it was a law. You were able to, they, you could be sentenced to 10 years imprisonment and a fine of $10,000 or both for simply doing this. Doing that. that and I was think it. That, that's, 
I mean, that's a part of that's a part of why we have the strong um, nationalism or anyone that's of mm-hmm. descent, right? That's why you always see a flag. That's a you flag. know, people always ask, "Why do Puerto Ricans always have?" That's that's a big piece of it. When yeah. you couldn't fly the flag, right, and you were basically prohibited from letting people know who you were, to now being able to, you're going to see it all the time. Mm-hmm. Super proud to fly it, super right, and and it's just funny because I always see people asking, "Why do you always have?" That's why, man. We're proud to be who we are, man. And there's a time when you couldn't do it. You know, imagine yeah. if the, all of the American flags got taken down mm-hmm. and someone, you know, Russia took over until you couldn't fly the American mm-hmm. flag. Like, it's just, it's crazy, right? But but that's, like I said at the beginning, everything is a perspective and it's about the perspective that you have, right? Like which side of it that you're on to say right or wrong or the way mm-hmm. things go. Absolutely. And so, as we said, during this time, he was really in and out of, of prison and, For a number of years, he was actually subject to lethal doses of radiation, uh, which caused, I mean, they have actual pictures of this, caused burns and welts all over his body. Um, Again, this was, it was was just kind of testing. And I I don't know, man, when I seen that, it was pretty mind-blowing and shocking to see. Again, there's pictures online if you guys want to look it up. Uh, But yeah, they were performing radiation um testing on him or probably wasn't even testing they were just trying to take him out again and it caused like burns all over his legs and welts all over his body and even going through and experiencing all of that that did not stop him to pursue his cause right they they let him out of prison um because he was basically dying um, and he was still on the pursuit of his his mission and his person, a purpose of making Puerto Rico an independent country. He ended up going back to jail a couple of times. And I mean, it didn't stop him. It didn't stop him. And he continued to uh, pursue this mission. And um, yeah, I mean, the fact that they were performing radiation on him was unbelievable. And again, he continued, even when he was released from prison one more time, or a couple more times, he, he still you know, was focused on his life mission. So, yeah. Radiation. I mean, Radiation's crazy. Crazy, that's, man. That's, man. I don't... Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know how you keep doing that. Someone does that to you. I, man, I... Psh, and Jesus. so let me ask you this. So the radiation, This yeah. I don't want to get off too off track. How were they performing this treatment? Were they just like... Um, injecting it in him or like what no so it was a so they have so you know how they um had the the atomic bombs that were being yeah. developed and stuff and processed right. during that time right. so they had chambers where they could actually test the effects like mm. on animals they had chambers where they could pump the gamma and pump that actual like radiation into us so you just put a person in there instead of the animal and you just turn the thing on and you just control how high like it man it's it's like wild stuff mm. man mm. Yeah, because I think he could have lived longer. I mean, generally, oh, for sure. Puerto Ricans live a very pretty long time, actually. So I, I think he could have lived a lot longer. But obviously, you pump people full of radiation, they're going to things start yeah. happening to your body, right? Things are happening. Absolutely. Um, so to start wrapping this up, the legacy of Albizo Campos will always be remembered as, you know, being a great leader in Puerto Rico, a great patriot, a pre- patriot in Puerto Rican history. You know, something I said at the beginning of the episode, this is someone that stood up for what they believed in and willing was willing to 
die for what they believe in. And, you know, Jeremiah mentioned it, like not many people would be able to go through what he went through just to, you know, be able to pursue his, his purpose. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he fought for the improvement of labor conditions for workers and he, he fought for the people of Puerto Rico and man, I can, I can just respect someone that will stand up for what they believe in despite any conditions that are going on. So crazy, crazy, you know, uh, life, crazy timeline of things hap that happened. And look, we, we probably missed a lot in there. There's just so much to it, but we definitely wanted to give you guys an overview of this person and why, you know, we fly the flag so, so hard and so proudly as a Puerto Rican. I mean, the, the very government structure and the way Puerto Rico resides right now is because of Campos, right? Being able to have the governor who is essentially like the president of Puerto Rico. A lot of people don't know that they have a, we have a governor mm -hmm. and it's, he's Puerto mm -hmm. structure, um, having our own Senate, all those type of things, right. Is basically based off Campos and, mm -hmm. and, the, and the system that he fought to help create us being seen as a commonwealth instead of an actual, um, you know, mm -hmm. lack of a better word, satellite, right, or mm -hmm. owned, even though we are, but now it seemed not as independent, but kind of in the middle space, right? It's given respect. Um, it, it's its own type of government. We get to represent ourselves in the, in the Olympics. Like, there's some different things, but all those things come from Campos and his fight um, to just help expand the way people were treated and what people thought about Puerto Rico. So, you know, forever in debt. Um, if it never changes from what it is, now if it ever does become fully independent, then for sure um, that's a name that we can link a lot of stuff to and be super grateful for. A hundred percent. I love that. Did you see the short film on YouTube? It's called Valor and Sacrifice. Um, it was it was created by a, a YouTube channel called Torres Production LLC. Shout out to them. Shout like out to them. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like, like a, ten minutes, right? Yeah, like, ten minutes, yeah. and I yeah, yeah. And so that was a dope video because just real quick, and we're we're gonna wrap this thing up. Right before he led that island wide strike, um, there was a colonel that pretty much was like offering him money to like be hush hush yeah. and to chill out and not to go on the strike, um, and they were gonna make him the governor of Puerto Rico at that time. Yeah, if he would just stand back, and he rejected the offer. And it's crazy because in the video, he's like, yo, we're, we're offering the same exact offer to somebody else. And, you know, he's going to take it. And the other person that they offered it to ended up becoming governor. He took the money, yeah. obviously. And um, I'd be so led that that strike, which, man, it's just crazy. Just little moments I mean, like that. It's the legacy. Like, we, that's the yeah. part we talked about the name, right? It's your legacy. Do you even remember the name of that guy that took the money? No, nobody cares. Nobody really remembers. No, but you remember right. his name. You know? yeah. And that's, right? That's the difference. The impact on people and the impact on history. Mm, love it. Um, yeah. I, I love this episode. This was dope for me to learn. And hopefully you guys took something uh, back from this episode. It just gives me another reason why to be a proud Puerto Rican. And yeah. uh, let us know if there's anybody that you want us to highlight in the Latino community, they don't have to be Puerto Rican. Um, they can be anybody, um, a historical figure, you know, yeah. let us know. We'd love to to do some research, bring you guys that information. And um, yeah, cool, cool. Uh, with that being said, 
Um, as always, thank you guys for tapping in. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. If you guys enjoyed this or found any value from this episode, please feel free to like, share, and also, uh, yeah, share it with, with two other people that needs to hear this information. Um, that would really mean the world to us. And like always, it's the Latin Wells family. We'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace.